Greetings, everyone, and welcome back to the Stories in My Head. This is your podcast host, Sarah Armstrong. Well, I hope you enjoyed our last um, offering, which was called Adinkra. I, I wonder if any of you really guessed what the ending of that one was going to be. Anyway, we're now on to a brand new story, and the title of it is Kitui and the Frenzel Lens. It's a bit of a different kind of story, totally different setting. This is set in the time of the Civil War, the American Civil War in the South, in the state of Louisiana. And it tells the story of a young slave girl and her determination to make something out of herself and make her life matter no matter what dangers she would have to face. It is a true story of survival of human ingenuity. It is also a love story, and it is a great adventure story, and it even has a sea battle in it. Yes, a sea battle. Maybe some of the details, historical details, are not exactly accurate. I did research them. But get into the spirit of the story and and to see how the human, the human spirit has the will to survive no matter what. So let us begin with our first episode of Kitui and the Frenzel Lens. The wagon rumbled along the road, raising a small cloud of dust. The driver shouted to the horses as he tugged on the reins and headed them toward the Pruitt Plantation south of Baton Rouge. The September afternoon sun shone weakly in the Louisiana sky and beamed down on the chained men and women riding in the back of the open wagon. 
They wore the stony, resigned countenances of people who had accepted their fate of bondage and struggled to retain some measure of dignity. There were twelve of them, seven men, four women, and a skinny child of twelve who whimpered as huge tears rolled down her cheeks. "'Hush that fuss, child!' One of the women whispered to her, It ain't no use in you carrying on. Your mama's gone and you gotta learn to make do on your own. Wipe those tears and keep your eyes down. The girl did as she was told, but her knees beneath her flower slack dress trembled and she longed for the warmth of her mother's arms. The wagon entered the Pruitt plantation just before sunset. The huge main house with its pillars and fine gardens was the grandest building the child had ever seen. She stole surreptitious glances of the elegantly dressed men and women sitting on the veranda and the smartly dressed slaves who silently tended to their needs. One man rose and moved toward the wagon, following it around behind the house to the slave quarters. He was tall and svelte. His dark, wavy hair was just turning white at the temples, and he walked with a swagger of a man who knew he was in charge. The wagon stopped, and the driver, Jonah Dalton, came around and unlocked the change that held his human cargo to the side of the wagon. He was a dirty, ferret-like man who enjoyed being a straw boss. He was small of stature and limited in ability. One thing he knew he could do was handle slaves. All you needed was a whip and the meanness to use it. Get down, he shouted. The men and women descended from the back of the wagon, awkward and stiff, as the blood began to circulate through their cramped muscles. The little girl tried to stay close to the women, but was pushed and shoved by the driver until she was standing at the end of the line of slaves as they stood ready for inspection by their new master. She repeated to herself the advice her mother had given her. Don't say much. Keep your eyes down, and if the master or men come to lie with you, close your eyes and think about heaven. Here they are, Mr. Pruitt said Joshua Dalton to the driver, removing his hat and addressing the tall man. Cyrus Pruitt walked along in front of the line of slaves, giving clipped instructions in a deep, rumbling voice that sounded like thunder. Those two men will work at the cotton gin, those five in the fields. All the women will cook and do the washing. As he drew close to the small girl, she began to tremble and pray. He stopped right in front of her and said, What is your name, girl? She opened her mouth to reply, but nothing came out. All she could see through her lowered eyes was his huge silver belt buckle. What is your name, girlie? He boomed. Kitui, master, she managed to croak. He stood staring down at her. Kitui raised her eyes enough to see that his eyes were blue and penetrating. His powerful arms were folded over his chest, and he rocked back and forth on his heels and stroked his chin. She's just about twelve, Mr. Pruitt, said Dalton. Her mama was sold, and the owner threw her in this lot for free just to get rid of her. She's exactly what you asked for. I did a good job for you, Mr. Pruitt, Dalton said, obviously seeking approval. Pruitt replied, let us stay. 
with the niggers in the in in the cabins for a while, and we'll see if she's fit for Susan. Katui didn't understand what all the words meant, but it seemed she had been bought there for a specific reason. Who was Susan? What did it mean by being fit for Susan? But before she could wonder any further, Dalton herded the newcomers to the slave cabins. The cabin was standard for slaves. It contained two rooms. The larger room was called the hall, where there was a great open fireplace. The other was a dark room where sometimes the adults slept and anything of value was kept. There was also a loft where items collected over the years and considered as keepsakes were kept. The cabin was whitewashed and smoke-stained inside. The fireplace acted as a ventilator. Katui was to share a cabin with a woman named Vesta and her two sons. Dalton stood and talked to Vesta for a while. Both adults would occasionally look at Katui and then look away. Vesta was a large, light-skinned woman with the biggest breast Katui had ever seen. She had a broad nose and a soft, smiling mouth. Her eyes were a shade between brown and gray, attesting to her mixed heritage. Dalton walked toward Katui, stopped in front of her, and said, This here is your new mama. Listen to her, and you'll do just fine here. He leaned down, and Katui could smell his foul breath and unwashed body. If you give me any trouble, you little piccaninny, I'll flay every inch of skin off your back. You hear me? Yes, sir, Katui whispered. Dalton walked away towards the big house shouting orders and insults as he went. Vesta put her arm around Katui's shoulders and said, Well now, just look at you. Turn around so I can see you properly. Katui did an awkward pirouette and looked up at Vesta expectantly. You're a scrawny little something. We'll have to fatten you up some. Vesta pulled Katui into the cabin. The cabin was scrupulously clean. The two rooms were dimly lit by a kerosene lamp. There was a crude wooden table and three chairs. The window was covered with curtains made from remnants of a print dress. There were two shelves on the wall holding plates and cups of different patterns and sizes. It was the most beautiful place Katui had ever seen for a slave to live in. She and her mother had shared a large cabin with two other families. Their only possessions were two tin plates, two tin cups, and two changes of clothes. Surely Vesta was an important person on the plantation to have acquired all these treasures from the main house. Seated at the table were two boys, only a few years older to one of them was, and the other was obviously younger. They were eating beans and cornbread from chipped china bowls with real metal spoons. Katui had never eaten with anything but her hands. Her mother had sneaked her into the big house at Christmas, and she had seen the table in the dining room set with hundreds of sparkling glasses, rows and rows of shiny utensils, and stacks of plates, 
of every shape and size. Field hands, like her mother, were fortunate to get enough to eat and a decent place to live. Katui wondered if Vesta would reject her if she knew that her mother was just an ordinary slave. Katui's eyes adjusted to the dimly lit cabin, and she scrutinized the two boys. The older one had considerably darker skin than his mother. He had large, sad, angry brown eyes that examined Katui with disinterest. The younger boy was even lighter than his mother and had the same penetrating blue eyes of the man with the silver belt buckle. Surely this was Master Pruitt's son. Such things were common. Since the beginning of the African's life in America, their women had borne children for their masters. It was a fact. Even at twelve, Kitui knew that if the master or overseer or any white man chose to bed a Negro, he did so. On some plantations, it was the right of the master to take the virginity of any or all of his slaves. It was common practice for the owner to take his pleasure in the cabins while his wife and mother and sister sat pure and pristine and safe in the big house. These are my sons, John and Caleb, said Vesta, indicating that Caleb was the oldest and John was the blue-eyed Pruitt. Kitui curtsied awkwardly as she had been taught, hoping to make a favorable impression. The boys nodded in acknowledgement and continued to eat. Sit at the table, child, and eat, Vesta says as she pulled up an old wooden crate for Kitui to sit on. Vesta spooned beans into another bowl and cut a big slice of cornbread from the pan, which sat near the edge of the fireplace. She placed the bowl in front of Katui and handed her a spoon. Katui picked up the strange tool with an unfamiliar, awkward grip. Her first attempt resulted in more beans falling onto the table than reaching her mouth. Vesta smiled. Use your hands, child. Make yourself to home. She placed her hand on Kintui's head, stroking her closely cropped hair, and then went into the other room to prepare a place for her new charge to sleep. The boys eyed their new housemates suspiciously. Kintui looked nervously from one to the other as they ate. Caleb finally said, Where you come from? And Tui swallowed and said, I've been on the Davis place since I was born. They sold my mama to Farrell's and I came here. There was an uncomfortable silence. The Davis place ain't near as big as pretty as this one, Katui continued. The boys looked at each other and continued to eat. What kind of name is Kitui? asked John. Kitui, she corrected. My mama said it's from Africa. I don't rightly know what it means, though. My grandma called her that when she was little. Kitui stopped eating as her face was transformed by sadness. I sure miss my mama, she said with a quiver in her voice, and one large tear rolled down her cheek and plopped on the table.
Don't be scared, John said reassuringly. Me and Caleb will take care of you. Nobody messes with Caleb. He's strong and young and mean and smart, John continued, his eyes growing wide and the words flowing out of his mouth like a river. Hush, John, you talk too much, commanded Caleb, scowling at his younger sibling. Kitui watched the interplay with interest and sense that Caleb was secretly pleased with his younger brother's praise. Boys were a mystery to Katui. She had never interacted much with the other children at the Davises. Katui had been very sickly as a child, and her mother always kept her close and wouldn't let her run and play. Katui had been relegated to sedentary shores with only her imagination to keep her company. She used to dream of working in the big house and eating off the fine china and drinking from the smart glasses. She wondered what it would be like to be white and free. The meal finished, the boys took the dishes outside to the common pump to wash them. Kitui sat near the fireplace, thoughtfully silent. Vesta bustled about the cabinet, straightening and arranging. She sang softly as she worked, and Kitui recognized the tune as one her mother used to sing and began to hum along. It was poor little Jesus, yes, yes. He was born on Christmas, yes, yes. And laid in a manger, yes, yes. Wasn't it a pity and a shame, Lord, Lord? Wasn't it a pity and a shame? It was poor little Jesus, yes, yes. They nailed him to a cross, Lord, yes, yes. They hung him with a robber, yes, yes. Wasn't that a pity and a shame, Lord, Lord? Wasn't that a pity and a shame? They sang together for a while as if it was the most natural thing in the world. Mrs. Vesta, what child? Who, who is Susan? Vesta stopped her work and turned to look at the young girl curled up on the hearth. Why do you ask that, child? I heard the master said he wanted to know if I was fit for Susan. What does that mean, Miss Vesta? Vesta replied, Susan is Master Pruitt's daughter. His wife, her mama, died seven years ago when Susan was six. She's 13 now, and Master Pruitt dotes on that child. He takes her everywhere he goes, even to his evening business meetings. Vesta came and stood over Katui. He's been looking for a slave girl about Susan's age to be her companion and personal maid. It's a chance for you, child, Vesta said, eyeing Katui somberly. You would get to work in the house and travel with Susan and the master. Do you work in the house, Miss Vesta? Katui inquired. Vesta pulled herself to her full height and said, Yes, I do. But I ain't no stuck-up somebody who holds herself above others. I've always lived in the cabins and done my share to keep up the quarters. Spent my life in the fields, Vesta said, as her eyes seemed to drift into the past. I used to deliver the vegetables to the cook, and she took kindly to me and taught me how to clean and serve. I took my chance, and I learned. 
just as you must take your chance, child, if you get to serve Miss Susan. She shook her finger at Katui for emphasis. Katui and the boys slept in the hall near the fireplace. As she lay on her pallet, Katui pondered her fate. Surely her only option was to do the best she could to be made to Miss Susan. She could get into the big house. She could travel with Miss Susan and Master Pruitt, and maybe in her travels find her mother. The next few weeks were hectic for Katui. Vesta drove her hard. Standing in the kitchen door, Vesta would shout, Katui, bring that washing off the line. Katui, go pick a mess of green beans for supper. Katui, come in and help me knead this biscuit dough. Come on now, child, hurry. Katui seemed adopted to this new life and enjoyed the excitement of life in the kitchen at the big house. There was always the smell of baking bread or meat roasting or vegetables being prepared for a meal or for canning. The slaves got the remains of the slaughtered animals, the feet, the ears, the tails, the intestines of the pig, the trimmings of beef, and occasionally a chicken. But those who worked in the kitchen got lean meat and hot bread. Kitui's free time was spent with Caleb. He was 16 and very bright. John, Caleb's younger brother, stayed very much to himself and didn't associate with any of the other children. Caleb was being trained to be the driver of Master Pruitt's buggy. He groomed the horses, trimmed their tails, polished the buggy, oiled the harnesses in bits. Sometimes she would just sit and watch him work and listen to him talk. See, if Vesta is my real mama, she died of the fever when I was a baby and my daddy was sold. Vesta took me in and raised me like her own. She got me the work in the stables. What are you looking at? Caleb asked. Aren't you scared that horse will kick you? Asked Katui. You got to know how to talk to them. Your voice got to be strong and sure. And if you do that, they won't bother you, explained Caleb. Besides, if I'm to be the master driver, I'd better learn how to manage horses. How come you know so much? Katui queried with wonder in her voice. Because I learned how to listen, replied Caleb. He stopped brushing the horse and walked over to Katui, who was seated on a stack of hay bales. If you promise not to tell Mama, I'll show you this evening during the dinner party. Caleb was almost whispering. Katui's eyes widened. She'd been busy all morning fetching and carrying to and fro as Vesta prepared for the pre-Christmas party. The fine china, glasses, and flatware had to be polished and placed with great care on the snow-white tablecloth that covered the huge dining room table. But Vesta had warned that once the guests started to arrive, all children were to stay away from the big house because things would be too busy. Aunt Vesta says we can come up to the big house tonight. How will you hear anything way over here in the cabins? Katui asked. Caleb smiled smugly and replied, 
Just wait until tonight and I'll show you. By early nightfall, the front yard of the Pruitt house was filled with buggies and carriages. The windows were bright with the glow of lamps and the soft murmur of voices and laughter drifted out to the slave quarters. Katui and Cable put John to sleep and were sitting just inside the door. When will we go listen? asked Katui. You got to be patient, girl, Caleb replied. We'll go when I say it's time, and no sooner, he stated with authority. Katui settled back to wait and decided that she really didn't like being ordered around by someone who still had to ask his mama's permission for almost everything. But she remembered Vesta's words. If you want to learn, child, shut your mouth and open your ears. Resigned to her faith, Katui drifted off to sleep. It's time, Caleb says as he shook Katui awake. She rose unsteadily to her feet and blushed the dirt from the back of her dress. You have to be quiet now, girl, warned Caleb. Just follow me and keep your mouth shut. Crouched double, the pair moved silently past the kitchen door. They could hear Vesta giving orders above the rattle of dishes and clang of pots. They crept around the side of the house and slipped through an opening in the hedge. There was a small door in the side of the house just under one of the dining room windows. You want to see inside? asked Caleb with a grin. I sure would, but I'm too short. Besides, what if they see me? There's curtains at the window, and they're all so busy eating and talking, they aren't looking out the window. Come, stand on my shoulders, offered Caleb, as he stooped and reached for Katui's foot. Katui placed her feet on Caleb's shoulder and found herself hoisted up so that her chin reached the bottom of the sill. As she turned to peer inside, she looked into the widest, bluest eyes she had ever seen. The young girl attached to the eyes, stared at her with curiosity, and then winked in secret conspiracy. Katui was stunned. If the girl gave her away, she and Caleb both could be whipped, or worse. It might even get Vesta in trouble, but the girl slid the curtain back in place, moved away, and returned to the table without saying a word. Katui could see the resemblance to John. This child must be Susan. Katui hardly saw the elegantly clad guest or the heavenly laden table. Her gaze kept returning to the girl, who surreptitiously glanced at the window and waggled her pinky in greeting as she ate. Katui gave Susan a final hesitant smile, and signaled to Caleb to let her down. You seen enough? Yeah, I saw plenty, Kentui replied with emphasis. She wouldn't tell Caleb about Susan. It wouldn't be right. It was their secret and theirs alone. Caleb eased the small door in the side of the house opened and beckoned Kentui to come inside. Katui didn't like the dark, but she couldn't show Caleb that she was afraid. Close the door, Caleb whispered. 
With her heart pounding, Katui pulled the door shut behind her. Suddenly the darkness was broken by the flame of a match. Caleb lit the small candle he pulled from his pocket and gave a superior satisfied smile. I think of everything, he said, pushing out his chest with pompous pride. Kitui glared at him with impatience and irritation. Why did you bring me here? she asked wearily. Follow me. Caleb headed further under the house. He moved about 20 feet and stopped. Placing his fingers across his lips, he motioned Katui to be quiet and listen. How was your cotton crop this year? Not bad and not bad at all, replied an unfamiliar male voice. That's Master Tobias Goodley, whispered Cable. We are right under the dining room table. You can hear everything. Kitui listened a while longer, and Cable was able to identify each voice, male and female, as they spoke. Finally, there was a scraping of chairs and the sound of footsteps as the guests moved from the dining room. Once again, Caleb motioned Kitui to follow him. Tobacco, that's the crop of the future, gentlemen, easy to plant and maintain. Why, it's even easier for the darkies to pick than cotton. A chorus of male voices chimed in with opinions, pro and con, and Caleb explained that they were under the library. He directed Katui to follow him again. When they stopped, Katui could hear a simple tune being played on the piano. The player struck the keys with a halting rhythm but great intensity, and when the player had finished, there was the muffled sound of polite applause. That was wonderful, Susan, drawled a cultured female voice, which Caleb promptly identified as Miss Constance Goodley, daughter of Tobias Goodley. She plays hostess for Master Pruitt, since his wife passed on, Caleb explained. She takes the ladies to the drawing room, and the gentlemen go to the library for brandy. She is also Susan's teacher. I think she wants to marry Master Pruitt, but he's not interested. Caleb indicated that they should go back towards the door, and Katui reluctantly complied. Once outside, they made their way quietly back to Vesta's cabin. Kitui was bursting with questions. How come they got a door to go under the house? Where, how did you find it? Can we go back another time and listen some more? Caleb explained that he had discovered the door by accident. The space under the house had been used for storage at some early time, or maybe a place to hide during the Indian raids in the early days. Most of the houses have spaces like that one place or another. When I drive the master to other plantation, I explore. I know all the ins and outs of every house within 30 miles, bragged Caleb. But don't you say anything to Mama. If she knew I was listening to white folks' private conversation, she'd have my hide, Caleb warned. I won't tell, Katui answered solemnly. I promise. Christmas Day arrived. 
It was the custom of the master of the plantation to give the slaves extra meat as well as some chickens and turkey and an extra ration of flour, meal, and canned fruit. Near the end of the day, Katui sat at the door of the cabin, stuffed and tired. Everyone had made her feel at home, but today was still hard for her to bear. Why you look so sad, Caleb asked. I'm thinking about my mama, Katui replied in a shaky, tearful voice. Well, maybe this will help cheer you up. Caleb handed her a bundle wrapped in a piece of faded flour sack. With trembling hands, Katui unwrapped the package and gasped at delight at its contents. It was a doll made from remnants of cloth and stuffed with straw. The eyes were buttons and the mouth and nose were crookedly stitched with a variety of threads. But the thing that truly fascinated Katui was the hair. Caleb had saved the trimmings from the horse's tail and stitched them onto the doll's head. There was also a crude wooden comb and a small piece of a broken grooming brush. Caleb said, If you're going to be Miss Susan's maid, you got to learn about white folks' hair. You can practice on this doll. Oh, thank you, Caleb. I'll practice really hard. And do you proud, Katui exclaimed. Caleb sat back down with a satisfied smile as he watched Katui struggling to shape the horsehair into a rough braid. She was smart and observant. She'd do just fine in the big house. Just fine. So now you've been introduced to most of the main characters here, of course, the main one being Katui, the little slave girl who is taken away from her mother, and now she's at this plantation. She's kind of found a new family and a new friend in Investa, Investa's two children, and she's being groomed to be the servant or the personal slave for the uh, young mistress of the house, Susan Pruitt. Uh, she is being taught how to act. She has been uh, taught how to do the chores that she would be asked to do. And now she's about to begin this new adventure. But she's also met Caleb, who is Vesta's adopted son. And he's kind of shown her around and shown her some of the secrets of the places that uh, are there on the plantation. We also have the character of Jonah Dalton, who is this very cruel overseer who seems to have it in for Caleb. So we have the makings of a great storyline here. So please come back next week. It's only going to get better and more exciting 
as we listen to Kitui and the Friends of Lens. Thank you so much for your support. Please contact me with comments or questions.